a young boy was given the assignment of writing an essay along with all the other kids about why they were here. Why they were here. This young boy labored over it, worked over it, strained over it. And then when it was all said and done, he kind of thought, okay, I've got this down. And he, he went to um, school the next day. And when it was time for everybody to turn their papers in, he had a problem. He forgot it at home. And so he felt so bad about it, didn't know what to do. And after class was over, he, he made his way up to the teacher and he said to the teacher, he said, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, but I forgot my excuse for being born. What's yours? Why are you here? Why are you breathing? Why are you using precious air? Why are we here? It's a question of the ages, and some have, have rightfully said, as, as they've looked at the question, you know, that we're here ultimately to glorify God. And that's true. That's true. But there are a lot of ways to glorify God. And as we look at the assembly that God is calling out, we find that there are four distinct pillars that really guide this assembly in order to make it effective. And we looked at the assembly as a community last week. And today we look at the assembly as a cause, our cause. It's our excuse for being here. It's the reason we're around. It's, it's what we can tell our teachers. I know why I'm here. Our co-workers, our friends, and so on. It is literally our excuse for being born again and left on the planet. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to stay. The Bible says we're complete in Christ. Well, fine, let's go. It's kind of like Paul said. You know, Paul said, I, I'm ready to go. But you know, I don't go for you. says, for me to die is gain. And anybody who knows Jesus as Savior, dying is gain. I mean, who wouldn't give up the world to gain the universe? The galaxy. The very presence of Almighty God. Death is gain. So why are we here? We're here for others. We're here for those who have not yet had the privilege of hearing the special sweet name of Jesus and coming to appreciate God's amazing, amazing love. That's why we're here. That's why you have Ben and Christy living in Turkey and doing what they did. That's why Christina was there. That's why people go all over the world, because there are people who have not heard, and the Spirit of God moves in their heart just as He did in the early church and said, separate Barnabas and Paul. Send them out. Send them out. There's so many people who need to know. And you know, it's such a shame, you know, when when you have such an incredibly wonderful message and you decide not to share it. So this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about the cause, our cause. And I have, I have labored to try to 
to put this in a package that, that I pray all of you this morning will grasp, appreciate, and then begin to implement on a daily basis, understanding our cause. You know, not everybody was born to be a Navy SEAL. But in the military, you have all sorts of people who work together. You, you have people that are Navy SEALs on the front line. And then you have other people that are helping in the background. You have all kinds of people that make up the operation in order to have victory and get the job done and defeat the enemy. The same is true in the church. Not everybody is a Navy SEAL when it comes to evangelism and the gospel and preaching the gospel. There are only about 3% of all believers who have the gift of evangelism. Why is that? I mean, when you, would think, you would think God would give 90% of the people the gift of evangelism. Not three, not five, not maybe ten. So why? Why is it that not all of us have this incredible gift why is it that we're not a bunch of all Navy SEALs when it comes to the gospel? Well, I'll explain that to you in a minute. <laughs> what I want to do, first of all, is read this passage in Matthew 28. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I have commanded you. And remember that I am always with you until the end of time. When he says, go and make disciples, he's not talking about the process of getting up off the couch and going somewhere. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's talking about the fact that all of us are going through life. We're all going through life. And so what he's saying is, while you're going through life, this is the reason you're here. This is why you're here. Now, it's true, there is a specific call of God on people's lives, but Jesus is talking to the entire assembly, and he's saying, while you're going, while you're going through life, because everybody's going somewhere, while you're going, make disciples, make disciples. So, first point, the clarity of our cause, the clarity of our cause, and I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, confuse any of you, because... Our cause, our cause ultimately, as Paul says, is to present every man or woman perfect and complete in Christ, as he says in Colossians. So it's not just about the decision, it's about the process of making someone mature in Christ. But they have to make the decision first. It's essential that they hear the story. So the clarity of our cause, the clarity of cars. Number one, as underneath number one, it's we are to preach, proclaim, and declare the gospel. Preach, proclaim, and declare the gospel. Um, I don't know how many times I have told uh, folks, maybe you recall me saying this, it's not your responsible to, responsibility to convert anybody. Because number one, you can't. It's the work of God. But it is your responsibility to share the information. Share it. We're to preach, proclaim, and declare the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation, Mark 16, 15. Point number B, what is the gospel? Now, this is really critical because there's a lot of people that don't even know what the gospel is. They say it's the gospel of Christ, it's a good gospel, it's a wonderful gospel, it's the gospel of the church, but they don't have a clue what the gospel is. So I need to clarify that this morning. The gospel 
is the word in the Greek euangelion, which, by the way, is not spelled with an N, but that's the way it is pronounced, euangelion. And it means good news. Good news. So I want you to stop and think about this because we've been hitting on these words as we've gone through this study. Do you realize that when people talked about the assembly, it was not something weird or strange to the culture in which Jesus was speaking or the disciples were living? The assembly was something they clearly understood. There were assemblies in all kinds of different little towns and villages made up of people that made decisions and executed laws. The assembly was the called out people to do the work of the people. The assembly was also the military called out for the purpose of executing a war. So when Jesus talks about an assembly or church, as we describe it, it is not a weird subject. What's changed is the focus of the assembly. Why was the church such a problem? Why is it so radical today for so many people? Because as I mentioned, those who embrace Christ have no king but Jesus. And that was the problem then, and that's the problem today. You are giving your allegiance to a king, another sovereign, other than Caesar, other than any organization or individual around on the planet. So good news is another one of those words. I mean, it wouldn't be strange to, be, to have people hear people and actually say yourself in that time, hey, man, I got some gospel for you. Because everybody knew it was good news. I got good news. I got gospel. It wasn't that the word was unique. It was what it was about that made it so special. And that's what Jesus did. He took what was familiar and he said, you know what? None of the stuff you call gospel is really, 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 really gospel. The best news in town is the following. Jesus says, I, excuse me, Paul says, I, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, by which also you are saved unless you believed in vain. Number one, the gospel is the death of Christ. The death of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I deliver to you, first of all, the importance of importance, what I, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The good news is that Jesus died. People die every day. Why is it good news that Jesus died? It's good news because Jesus was a sinless man. Jesus was God-man in the flesh. He was without sin. And as a sinless human being, he died and paid the debt of all of our sin. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So it's good news that Jesus died. He is the sacrifice of all time. Secondly, the burial of Christ. Paul goes on to say that he was buried. He was buried. The gospel is the death of Christ, the burial of Christ. And thirdly, the resurrection of Christ that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The good news, the gospel, the best news of all is that Jesus died, was buried, and victoriously rose from the dead. He's alive. Guess what? He's here with us today Amen. in this very room. But that's good news. 
It is good news. Without the gospel, there is no hope. There's no hope. You know, people talk about the gospel and they understand it. Uh, Even when I was growing up, I knew what the gospel was. I knew about Easter. I knew about the resurrection and all of that. I knew Jesus died on Good Friday. You know, you go through all these routines and these religious events and so on. But you know, I never understood why it was so good until I realized how bad and needy I was. I didn't realize how good the message of the gospel was until I realized how sick I was. I didn't realize how powerful the victory of Jesus over death was until I realized I was dead. So you cannot understand or appreciate the gospel until you realize the need you have for that gospel. It's good news. I mean, on a smaller scale, you know, somebody could be really, really sick and go to the doctor and they're really, really sick and they they show up and the doctor says, guess what, I got good news. It's not there anymore, you're healed. It's like, hallelujah! (laughs) Glory to God, I'm I'm free, no more more sickness here. I'm, I'm, man, this is good news. And we're eager to share that good news, rightfully so. But do you realize that that news pales? Pales. In comparison to the person who says, I was lost, but then I was found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was headed for hell, and now I have the gift of heaven. I mean, there's there's just no comparison. So the clarity of our cause is simple. It's to preach the gospel. It is to tell people that Jesus died for their sins. He was buried, and he rose victorious over death and hell. Can we keep it simple? It's amazing how complicated we make things. The Bible says this gospel, very simple, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most precious and powerful news for anyone on the planet anytime, wherever you are. By the way, baptism, which we're going to have next Sunday for any of you who are at that point where you've trusted Christ and have not yet been baptized, we're going to have baptism next Sunday for anybody who wants to do that. If you've put your trust in Christ, I was baptized as a baby. I had no concept of the gospel at that point. Some water was thrown on me as a baby, and I I, I guess I got a little wet. I mean, I, I don't have any recollection. I had no decision in the matter, nothing. You see, the, the baptism is not an act of humanness on another human. Baptism is in response to the gospel. Why do you think we baptize by immersion and you look at the New Testament, it's completely baptism by immersion. Why? Because when you stand in the water, you declare, I've been crucified with Jesus. And guess what? When you go under the water, you're saying, I was buried with Jesus. And when you come up out of the water, you're declaring, I have been raised with Jesus. What is that? Can you say gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a picture. That's why we do that. So if you, if you need to do that, if you haven't done that, speak up. Talk to me. Second point I want to share with you this morning is the importance of our cause. The importance of our cause. You, you need to understand point number A. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There is no, listen to me, there is no other way 
for you to be forgiven, for you to be saved, for you to become part of the family of God. There is no other way. None. None. Don't fool yourself. Don't think if your goodness outweighs your badness, God might let you in. There is not a chance like a snowball south of us. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. You embrace the, the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That is the power of God for salvation. Nothing else, nothing else will give you access. Nothing. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. It is only through the gospel, it is only through Jesus Christ that you can have not only your sins forgiven, but you can have a relationship with God, be part of his family, and guaranteed heaven for eternity. It is the only way. And if I say that five or six more times this morning, it's okay. Because it's the only way. And why would you tell somebody something different if that was the only way? Secondly, B, it is the promise of an inheritance. The gospel promises us all that God gives us. (laughs) You realize it's kind of like showing up. Wherever you show up, showing up with your particular entrance, your boarding pass, whatever it might be, the gospel is the promise of everything that God has declared. Ephesians 3, 6 says the mystery is the good news, the gospel that we share. The same inheritance as Jewish people do to share the same promise that God made in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God. Can you say all? All. All the promises of God, the Bible says, in Christ are yes and amen. All. All. And then see, it it is the purpose for providing eternal life, which we've already touched on. But I want you to listen to Peter's words in 1 Peter 4 6. He says, For this reason the good news was preached to those who are now dead. The gospel is preached to dead people. Those who are alive have already tasted it. (laughs) It says, even though they were judged like all people according to human beings in the flesh, the good news, the gospel was preached to them so they could live in the spirit as God lives. As God lives. So when we talk about the importance of the gospel, we realize it's the power of God, it is the promise of God, and it is his very purpose. Do you realize Jesus said over and over in various ways He didn't want anybody to perish. He wanted all to come to repentance. Peter even says that very clearly and directly. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to taste the gospel. Taste the gospel. I don't know about you, but, you know, I I enjoy good food occasionally and actually all the time. But there are certain times when you go and you have a meal and it just, as they say in Persian, it, it, you know, it, it... Chaspeed, it just sticks. It's so good. And what do you do after a meal like that? 
after you take a nap and all that stuff, then you want to tell somebody, hey, you want some good food? Now you want good food? I got the place for you. That's why you're here. That's why God hasn't taken you already, because you've had the best food of, of all time. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've gotten the best of the best of the best of the best that heaven can offer, and His name is Jesus. And so it's up to us to let other people know. So let's talk now together about the advancement of our cause. Point number three, the advancement of our cause. And there's three things that, that the Lord laid on my heart that are really critical for you to understand because a lot of people, when they think about the cause and evangelism, there's a lot of people that get really nervous. And you know why they get nervous? Because they don't have the gift of evangelism. It's, it's really simple. And so they're, they're thinking, they start trembling, you know. Pastor's going to talk about going out there and doing cold turkey evangelism, grabbing people by the shirt, grabbing them by the throat, <laughs> taking these bullhorns out there in the parking lots of these great big Walmarts and saying, turn or burn, turn or burn. <laughs> no, no, no. You completely missed the point. You completely missed the point. Just relax. I'm not going to put you in harm's way. But I want you to understand the reason there's such a small percentage of people who have the gift of evangelism is because it's the intent, number one, it's the intent of God within the community and the assembly of the believers to use that very assembly for the purpose of reaching the lost. You wouldn't need the assembly if all of you could do this. If all of us had the gift of evangelism, we'd all, we'd, we'd all be out there, you know, leading people to Christ, starting churches all over the place like Paul and leaving them and just constantly going here and there. And the body would just be floundering. So, number one, we advance the cause of Christ, A, by showing our love through our community. Showing our love through our koinonia, our fellowship. How many people do you know that want to be part of an assembly or a fellowship where people are always fighting and bickering and kicking and screaming and hollering and whining? I mean, you know, sign up for that. Like, yeah, I'm in for that, boy. I want to be part of that group. No. You don't want to be part of that group. You want to be part of the group we talked about last week. You want to be part of an assembly that prays for one another, cares for one another, loves one another, encourages one another. Yes, disciplines one another, confesses sins with one another. I mean, there's just so many things we talked about last Sunday, folks. And all of that's part of the community. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, love each other in the same way that I loved you. Everyone will know that you are my disciples because of your love for each other. One of the ways that the cause is advanced is because people look at us, the assembly, and they say, man, I want in. I want in. I want to be part of that community. My family experience is not what, this, what I see. I want that. I want a place where I'm accepted. I want a place where I'm loved. I want a place where I'm cared for. I want a place where people respond to my needs even if they can't do anything about it. I want in. We advance the cause through our community. 
That's why it's so essential. That's why it's one of the pillars that we talked about. Secondly, we advance the cause by sharing our hope with our extended household. Some of you are saying, what? Extended household. It's called oikos in the New Testament. And I know it's not related to yogurt. (laughs) Just to get that out there. But it is a very powerful, (laughs) powerful word that was used in the environment of Jesus and the New Testament church. In fact, it was one of the primary means by which the cause was advanced. Their oikos, their extended household. We think of household as being our own nuclear family. But in those days, it was not just your nuclear family. It was everybody that was in your sphere of influence. Friends, neighbors, work, relative school, classmate, etc. It was everybody, you're, you're, the people you, you kind of rub shoulders with, 8 to 15 people. 8 to 15 people. There are those people in your life. And the early church focused on those 8 to 15 people over and over and over again. And as it changed, they continued to pray for and focus on others that came into their household, their sphere of influence. There's a whole list of verses here. I just want to mention some of them to you. For example, Luke 8, 39, the demoniac was told by Jesus to return to his household and described the great things that were done for him. Go back to your household. Luke 19, 19, Zacchaeus was told that salvation had come to his household. Household. John, excuse me, Mark 2, 14. You have the, the passage that describes how Jesus called Matthew. And shortly after that, the tax collector gathered his household together and invited Jesus and the disciples to hang out with him. And they had a great big party. Great big party. Or John chapter 1, verses 40, 41, tells of Andrew bringing his brother to Christ, his household. He went to his family member and brought him. Or John chapter 1, 44 to 45, tells of Philip bringing his friend Nathaniel to Christ, your household. So you need to understand that what we're talking about here, number one, is our assembly, our community, our fellowship, because it is loving and caring because God is at the center of it, it will attract those who look for it because everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. Secondly, your extended household. We're not telling you, we're not telling you to drive down to South Phoenix, find somebody on the corner of a street and start preaching at them. No, we're telling you that the, the biblical pattern is you need to go to people you already know people you care for, people you already have relationships with, people that are in your sphere of influence. You develop that relationship. You look for opportunities to do what? To do what? To communicate the gospel. Now, check this out. Peter says this. He says, have reverence for Christ or make Christ Lord of your life, your heart, and honor him as Lord. And then it says, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have. 
the hope you have. The primary focus of our community is love. The primary focus of your household is hope. People live with you. They know you. They rub shoulders with you. They hang out with you. They understand you. They've seen you. They recognize you. And when they're in trouble, they're looking for hope. Serve it up. Serve it up. And by the way, you don't need to go to Bible college for this. And you certainly don't need to go to cemetery. I'm, so, I'm sorry, seminary. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when God gave the Spirit of God to the, to the believers as a whole? It was almost a natural automatic byproduct. It was like, man, I know somebody, my friend, my, my family member, so on, people I work with, etc. And they just went and they shared it. It was their household. It was natural. Natural. I mean, we share stuff with our household and we don't even think a thing about it. Think a thing about it. But, but if you shared some of that stuff with people outside your household, they would kind of look at you like, you're a little bit... You know, I'm talking normal stuff, normal stuff. That's why this is in your program, by the way. That's why this is there. I need you to identify, not right now, but I need you to take this home and pray about it. Identify your 8 to 15 people that you rub shoulders with. Start praying for them on a daily basis. Start looking for opportunities to share the reason for the hope that is in you. And then third, point number C, we advance the cause by speaking our faith into a needy world. Love, hope, faith, all those are critical. How do we speak faith into a needy needy world? By being obedient. By being obedient. It says, go then to peoples everywhere. Make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus said to them again, yes, peace be with you just before he left. And he said, just as the Father sent me, so I am going to send you. The Father sent Jesus into the world, right? He was a foreigner. He was truly an outsider. He didn't fit. It's perfect. How does that work? The Father sent Jesus into this world and Jesus paid the ultimate price, his death, burial, glorious resurrection so that people in the world could know him and have a relationship with him. So we are called to be obedient. We are called to go to places where we are not comfortable. We are called to talk to people that we would otherwise not identify with. We are called by God to be obedient, not to be somehow a martyr by choice, but to be obedient by choice. The Spirit of God says, I want Paul and Barnabas to head out. Paul and Barnabas said, okay, here we are. The church said, yes, laid hands on them, sent them out. Ben and Christy going to Turkey. The Spirit of God's the one that said go to Turkey. If you choose your own place, you choose your own misery. And defeat. And sadness and sorrow. 
There are people that have been called by God to go to the mission field. Some of the greatest missionaries of all time spent years upon years upon years upon years upon years having zero fruit when it comes to people responding to the gospel. But seeds were being planted. Relationships were being built. And then a harvest came. One of the greatest places right now where the Spirit of God is working is in Iran. And the seeds that were planted years and years ago by people like Bill Miller and others, missionaries who served in Iran, people who loved God in Iran and shared the gospel, and people that are still pouring their lives like Tat Stewart through Sat7 and so on into Iran, it is, it is a response unlike anywhere else right now on the planet. Being obedient. Being obedient. Secondly, being attentive. Being attentive. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So be wise as snakes or serpents and as harmless as doves. Be attentive. Be attentive. You know, when you go out into the world and you're responding in obedience to the, to the Lord, you need to recognize where you are. You need to recognize what's going on around you. You need to know, like Ben, when to keep your mouth shut. Some people are not wise. Some people are not attentive. Some people are oblivious to what's going on. You've got to be attentive. You're not in your domain. Your identity is Christ and your home is heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You are out of your world and in another world. So you need to be attentive. You need to recognize what's happening. Recognize what's going on. Be aware of what's happening. And then finally, which really culminates this and pulls it together, is you need need to speak to the world and share faith by being spirit-filled. If the Spirit of God is not leading you, you are going to experience great misery and sorrow. But when the Spirit of God is leading you, you will always know His presence and you will always have His blessing and He will always fulfill His promises. Always. So did you catch this? The advancement of our cause happens in community. It happens in your extended household. And it happens out in the world. In your community, in our community, the primary ingredient is love. Love. Love is like honey. Honey to bees. Your household... The need is hope. Hope. People are struggling. You know people. You have friends. You have family. They're having a hard time. Be ready to give them the answer. In this world in which we live, you need to communicate your faith. Do not waver. Do not waver. Let me now wrap this together if you'll let me. Because our cause is so great and so focused and so clear, we all need to realize we have a part in it. All of us do. 
we need to love more in order for people to see the love of Christ in our midst. We need to recognize the hope that is ours and share it with those in our household, our extended family, so that they too can have hope. But ultimately, listen, ultimately, you've got to share your faith. Love may cover a multitude of sins, but love by itself, without these other two ingredients, will not save you. You can love the gospel, it won't save you, unless you place your faith in the gospel. There's a lot of people who love the gospel, a lot of churches that talk about the gospel, but a lot of people do not know the gospel personally. So you're going to have to grow in this whole love thing. When it comes to your hope, it's great to say, I got hope. I got all the hope in the world. And the person who's there, you can share your hope. You can tell them why you have hope. But unless they embrace the gospel, they can talk about hope all they want. And they're hopeless. So ultimately, you've got to share your faith. That doesn't mean you have to be a Navy SEAL. It doesn't mean you have to be a hardcore missionary. It doesn't mean you have to be this brainiac who has all the answers for everybody. No, it just means that you, like the blind man who was healed, says, you know what, I don't know a whole lot of that stuff, but I know I was blind and now I see, and he's responsible. Simple. And he was amongst some wolves. Folks, don't be intimidated. Do not be intimidated when this, when this whole concept comes up, the cause. Embrace it. Recognize you have a special strategic part to play in the community, in your household, and ultimately in declaring your faith. What does Paul say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 1 about faith? He talks about the gospel as being the power of God. And then he says, it is the gospel, the power of God that, that, that comes from one faith to another's faith. Read it, chapter 1. Ultimately speak your faith. Some of you, some of you are going to be called by God to go and um, this is an enemy thing. Probably the most significant time right now. That's why this kind of stuff happens. Because this is where it counts. This is where the rubber meets the road. And we're going to, we're going to wrap this up in this way, very simply. Because our cause is so critical and the gospel is so simple and so powerful and so life-giving, it would be amiss not to tell you Jesus died for you. Jesus was buried for you and Jesus rose for you. We love you and we really don't want you to spend eternity in hell. We don't want that. Our hope is totally tied to Jesus Christ. 
and his powerful death, burial, and resurrection. And it's time, if you haven't, it's time today for you to embrace the gospel for yourself. I knew the gospel for 17 years before I recognized it personally. So this morning I invite you, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, personally, I invite you right now, where you sit, in your heart of hearts, to say yes to the gospel. I invite you to do that. And if you've already done that, then I invite you this morning, brothers and sisters, let's advance the cause. In the community, in the household, and yes, in the world of which we are not a part. Let's do it. The victory has already been won. Let's stand together and sing this song out.